0: Welcome to Bethany. My name is Tom. So glad you're here. Uh, children may be dismissed for Children's Church. It's going to be a great time. God's got great things going on for you. They got an iron up there. I don't know what they're going to be doing. So if you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, I'm going to head upstairs with my wife and my daughter. Deb Brueggemann's up there, so you know it's going to be good. And... Uh, We miss uh, the Shanklins this morning, but they do great work. I want to thank everybody who volunteers up there. Hope we see you Thursday night, because we've got great plans for great ministry. So we're glad you're here. Uh, How's everybody doing? Good? Good, good, good. It's a beautiful morning, isn't it? It's great, great. We're in a uh, series. We're going through Acts, the book of Acts, verse by verse. We're in a series called Acts to be Continued. And this this sub-series that we're in is called Holy Spirit Unleashed, And we began it last week, we're going to continue this week. Um, uh, It's been incredible so far, and uh, it's going to get even more so as we move forward into the continuing story, what Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is doing in the early church and what He's doing in this church and in our lives, uh, and how He's uh, changing our hearts and our relationships and all our uh, whacked outness in our lives, and our marriages, in our homes. It's great. I want to bring up... Uh, The vision for the church, and we like to say that together, remind us what God has called us to. So I ask you to sit up straight, clear your throats, and say this with me like you mean it. To be a growing, relevant family of missionaries who desire to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ. It's very connected to this portion of the scripture within Acts. And it's going to remind us that we have God's calling and God's equipping and God's power to go do God's work uh, in our lives, in our community, in our college. Acts chapter 2, that's where we are. If you have a Bible, you want to open it to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can look under the seat in front of you. If there's not one there, just raise your hand. We've got some more. We've got somebody who'll bring you one. uh, If you can't find one. Uh, Great. While you're turning there, I just want to give you something to think about. Uh, Christmas growing up in my house um, was interesting. My dad would always get my mom one very special gift, very special gift like a, like a piece of jewelry or, or a nice coat or, or something like uh, tickets, uh, airline tickets for a vacation he was going to take her on, or, uh, but not a vacuum, not a vacuum. That, that year did not go so well. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, she cried, but it wasn't like crying like jewelry crying. It was, it did not go well. So, a little tip to the guys uh, if you're a boyfriend or a husband, uh, vacuum's not for Christmas, okay? Not for her birthday, not for your anniversary, not for Valentine, Okay, not for anything, okay? Vacuum is not a gift. What? You did. Well, you know, uh, Tim, God bless you, but it uh, didn't go so well that year. But my dad would always buy my mom that special gift, and, and I had three sisters, and we would fight over who got to give it to her, right? And, and, and I remember one year, uh, I pulled out a chunk of my older sister's hair uh, to be the one. Yeah, we put the fun back in dysfunctional in my house, uh, so uh, it was great joy when my father would say, it's your turn to give the gift. It's your turn to give the gift. And so, you know, we'd, we'd be on the other side of the of the room and you'd take the gift and uh, you're a kid, so you got to keep the, the talking going as you step over all the boxes and things. Mom, I have a gift for you, but it's not for me, it's from Dad. So whatever you do, whatever you do, it's not jewelry. It's not jewelry. And, and here it is, Mom. And we would stay there, and we'd wait, and she'd unwrap it. And, and with great joy, great joy to see, uh, to see her tears because it was, it was a wonderful thing. Even though we didn't give it to her, we got to present it. You know, And we would have such excitement and such joy over giving someone we loved a wonderful gift. And that connects to the fact that Jesus uh, is calling us to give out the gift that he has bought for people we love. And when did we lose the excitement out of handing that out? And, and so it's, it's your week. It's your week. It's your turn to give it. It's your turn to give it. We're going to celebrate. Let's, uh, let's pray. We'll get right to work. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, uh, we ask for your presence and your power. Lord, we pray against the enemy and his servants, their works and effects, that they would be far from this place in the holy name of Jesus. And Lord, we, I ask that you forgive me my sins. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would fall. And, Lord, uh, that you would open eyes, open hearts, open minds. And, Lord, through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change us and that you would forgive me my sins, and they are many. And, Lord, that you would reign in this place and be mighty as we make much of you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. It's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to give you a little bit of background before we dive in. In case you haven't been here, we want you to be able to get right on board with the story. Jesus says it's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1.8, he tells uh, he tells his disciples, he tells the 120 followers, the early church who are with him, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When it fills you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that connects to our our, our vision statement. It, can, it, it includes Gunnison, it includes Western, it includes Almont and, and Ohio City and, and Pickkin and Parlin and, and Crested Butte. It inclu- includes that. We've got power for that. We've got calling for that. We've got equipping for that. So it's exciting. And then we go to 2 4, Acts 2 4. And on and, and the, 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 the 120, they're there in the upper room. And what happens? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues. And what are they doing? What are they doing? We see in verse 11. They're proclaiming, they're telling the mighty works of God in all the different languages of all the people who are there, of all the people who are there, and they ask some questions. The people ask some questions. So so we're going to actually be uh, going through verses 14 through 21, and I'm going to give you uh, 12 and 13 for free, just, uh, just to get a handle on what's going on. So let's start in verse 12. And all the people who were there were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So they were asking one of two questions. What does this mean? We're going to read through it, and then we'll unpack it, okay? Others were mocking, and they said they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. Verse 14, but Peter Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Ow! Ah, That's right. That's right. That's big stuff. It's unlimited, and it includes you. May God add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word. Whew. So we're going to go to 12. We're going to go to 12. We're going to take a look at it again. I know we looked at it last week. They were amazed. They were perplexed. Verse 6 says they were bewildered. Verse 7 says they were amazed and astonished. When the Holy Spirit fills his people, when it fills his church, people are bewildered and amazed and astonished and dumbfounded. And is that the effect that this church, that we as individuals are having on our families and on our friends and on our community and on our college? It needs to be? And it will be when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we strive for. Verse 13. end of verse 12, rather. They asked, "What does this mean?" But others were mocking them and said, "They are filled with not the Holy Spirit. They are filled with new wine. They're drunk. These people are drunk. And Peter, what does he say? His answer is in verse 15. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And then he goes and unpacks for them what is going on here. So um, very quickly, Peter is responding to the question, they're drunk. And and we see that that drinking, and we talk about drinking and, and the Holy Spirit. Now, whenever the Lord's Word talks about something, we're going to talk about it in here. Now, I don't have a lot of time to uh, explain uh, the teachings of Scripture on drinking, Uh, but we're going to do that. We're going to do that when the college students get back because it's very important. It's important for us to understand the Scripture's teaching on drinking and what it is and what it's not. Now, it's a very important thing. It's a very dangerous thing. It's very dangerous. Now, I don't know if you've seen Brenton Elam. He's one of our elders. He's built like like a fire hydrant, and he bench presses the church van. I tell you this because today is graduation, and some of you high school students uh, might be tempted to, to imbibe underage, and he's our bouncer. And he's out there, and I want you to know that. It's very important. It's not for you. It's not the time. It's too heavy a sword for you to be wielding at this point. But we want to talk about what the Bible teaches. Peter didn't say these people are drunk because we are Christians, and we never touch a drop of the (laughs) stuff. Now, I am not encouraging anybody to drink, but it's important to say he said we're not drinking, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. This is happy hour, but not the way you're thinking about it. Now, my job, my responsibility when I stand before God is whether or not I preach the word of God rightly. Not whether I water it down to accommodate the popular culture, or not whether I twist the screws on it to make it more strict than God ever made it okay, to accommodate the fundamentalist culture. I'm not going to do either one. What I want us to do is look at what the Word of God teaches. Now, this is going to make some people angry. I understand that. But my responsibility before God is to tell you what His Word teaches. And if you want to respond, my email is here. It's the letter M, M. Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, at Bethany.com. <clears throat> when we talk about it, it's going to surprise some of you. It's going to surprise some of you. It might offend some of you. That's not my intent. It's not my intent. Alcohol and the misuse of that has led into many, many, many sins. Ripped apart families. Ripped apart lives. Right? Right? The Bible is filled with stories of all the ways that it has been misused, okay? But many young men in this congregation, many older men struggle with lust, which has ripped apart families, which has ripped apart lives, which has ripped apart futures and churches. And they struggle with pornography. But that doesn't mean we're going to chase away all the women in our lives, is that right? I struggle with food. It's a sin that the Bible calls gluttony. I take four pills every morning to counteract all the damage I have done to my body by misusing something that God created that can be used in a good and healthy and holy way. And if I do not get a handle on this through the power of the Holy Spirit, I will die. It will claim my life. But that doesn't mean we're not going to spread a table for the college students for college lunch during the semester. Amen. We got to understand we this is the problem that the church has historically had. It is the two extremes. One is license and freedom. Yahoo! We are free in Christ. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. He didn't give us freedom to lead ourselves into bondage. Okay? Too much license has given us an opportunity to sin. Yet he did not call us to legalism, which is to take a moral open-handed thing and make it prescriptive for everybody and every believer and become the sin of, of legalism. So what we're going to do when we do that is unpack that for you. we got a lot of scriptures. It's going to take at least a week, so we're going to wait until the... Uh, the, the uh, college students get back. But this is not the only place in Scripture that drunkenness and the Holy Spirit are put together to compare and contrast. I want to open for you Ephesians 5.18. 8, and then we're going to get, to get on because this is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It opens the door in your life to all kinds of sin but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Bible-believing Christian knows that drunkenness is sinful. It is forbidden. And here Paul is saying, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be drunk, if you will, with the Holy Spirit. Now, why why in Scripture do we see these two things compared and contrast? They say, these people have been drinking. He says, no, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There are similarities. There are similarities. I want to say this for you, and it applies not just to alcohol or the Holy Spirit. It applies to food. It applies to lust. It applies to anger. It applies to love. It applies to any Whatever fills you controls you. Whatever fills you controls you. So what are the the similarities between drinking and the Holy Spirit? Well, they make you walk differently, right? Make you talk differently, make you think differently, make you act differently, make you feel differently. One in a bad way and one in a very, very good and holy and redeeming way. What are the differences? Well, the Holy Spirit will never make you throw up on your best friend (laughs) or sin or feel like somebody hit your head repeatedly with a tire iron the next morning. It's not good. One leads to sin. The other leads to holiness and righteousness. Okay. We're going to move on. Remember, whatever fills you controls you. Whether that's alcohol or food or hate or jealousy or materialism or lust or love or joy, compassion or the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But let's not take the opposite track. Jesus did his first miracle, turning water into wine. And it's been said that since then, the Baptists have been trying to get him to change it back. (laughs) That being said, don't mess up. Brenton is on guard. All right. Verse 14, here we go. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says... But Peter, but Peter, standing with the 11. Before we move on, I want you to see how awesome this is. But Peter, big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal that Peter is standing up. Because just several weeks before, he fell down repeatedly repeatedly. It was ugly. It was disastrous for him, for the king. He blew it. And if you're following the the Nuggets on their trek through the playoffs, you can picture this. You know, the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and beaten and, and eventually crucified, Peter One of his closest friends was was asked if he knew Jesus Christ and he denied it. It's as if they're in the big game and it's a clutch moment and Jesus throws Peter the ball and he throws it up and it's an air ball and he does it three times. And so what is happening now? This is the big game. The first game of the early church at a clutch moment. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't call time out and bench Peter to call in somebody who's got a better shooting percentage or a better faithfulness percentage or a better track record. He says, no, you're my man. Here's the ball. Put it up. I believe in you. And what happens this time? <claps> Nothing but net. Nothing but net. And you know the angels in heaven are rejoicing. But Peter stood up what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway for you and me? It doesn't matter how many times you've blown it for God. It doesn't matter how many times you've blown it publicly. It doesn't matter how many times you've blown it privately. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many times you have sinned in Him If you have come to the cross and that is forgiven, that is the past and Jesus believes in comebacks and he's offering you one this morning. No matter how many times you've blown it, you could put your name in there. But Tim, but Brittany. Put your name in there. Stood up. He can turn it around. He don't want to bench you. Nothing you have done in your past in Christ disqualifies you for putting it up for him he'll take care of the results but peter stood up with the other 11 who by the way also ran like rabbits to save their hide that night and they're standing up too what does it say But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. And you know some wise guy, it's always the guy, right? is standing in the crowd going, it's five o'clock somewhere. No, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. He says these people are not drunk. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. What does Peter do? There is a spiritual phenomena. God is working mightily in his people to show off, to flex, to show himself great and glorious and mighty, And Peter says, there are questions out there. Let's go to the scripture. Let's go to the scripture. If there are spiritual questions, if there are spiritual experiences and spiritual phenomena and you don't have a scriptural base for it, you are treading on very dangerous ground. I don't care about your best friend who's into white magic or she wants to channel your favorite uncle or your dead cat. If you don't have a scriptural basis for it, you're in big trouble. When there are questions, Peter takes them right back to the Word of God. And you and I need to do the same. If you're in the spiritual realm particularly, and it doesn't have roots in Scripture... You are playing on a field where you're going to get your butt beaten. The word of God is your base. This is your sword. This is the place you never stray from. He takes them back there. He says, let's have a Bible study. You want to know what's going on? Answer's here. I don't care what your question is. We got to read it. We got to know it. We got to study it. We got to live it. All right, moving on. Verse 17. Verse 17. This is what he said the prophet Joel had written. And, and, and you can look, look at this uh, in the second chapter of Joel. He said, in the last days it shall be, God declares. Last days. The last days. You say, are we living in the last days? You bet. Last days started with Christ coming, right? And they'll end when Christ returns. They were the beginning of the of the end. We are the end of the end. And so this applies to us just as much, if not more, than it did at that time. And he says, in the last days it shall be, God says, that I will what? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I want you to take a look at this. It doesn't mean every single person. It means every kind of person. In every, if you remember from last last week when we talked about all the different nations and the global call of Christ and we're not going to build walls about who the gospel is for and who the gospel is not for he says I'm going to pour it out on every kind of person he says and your sons and your daughters men and women will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy Nobody is left out. Nobody is on the sidelines. I want you to see this? Sons and daughters, old and young, men and women, servants and those highborn. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what stripe you are. It doesn't matter who you are in your position. God has called you, and when the Holy Spirit falls, he calls all people of all kinds together in ministry. We see things happening throughout the world and in our very town and in our very church that separate people in ministry. When the Holy Spirit falls, he doesn't separate young and old. He doesn't separate rich or poor. He doesn't celebrate freak and jock. He doesn't celebrate whatever you got. He calls together in him and for ministry. You see that? Nobody gets left out. He gives gifts to all. He empowers all. He fills all. He sends all. He equips all. And he calls all. Nobody is left out, young people. I am middle-aged at 30. Okay. Not entirely true. I'm 43. But still, that, 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 that could be middle-aged, right? So we're going to use me as 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 a as a breaking point okay foot in uh, if you're younger than me feel free to consider yourself a young person if you're older than me feel free to consider yourself an old person okay <laughs> young people listen to me god wants to use you now people have lied to you when they have said you are the church of tomorrow That is only partially true. You are the church of today and tomorrow. Today and tomorrow. You win the young, you win the world. You win the young, you win the world. Look at our enemy. Where is he focusing the attack? On the young. Church, rise up! Rise up. It's not just those kids that are up there learning Bible verses. It's not just those kids that are being loved on and taught in the nursery. It's not just those kids that are going to the middle school and the high school. It's the young man. We need to equip. And and God is speaking to them a word that those who are my age and those who are older are refusing to hear that the kingdom must be advanced and it must be advanced powerfully. We need revival to be taking root in the middle school. We need revival to be taking root in the high school. We need revival to be taking root at the college through the sharing of Jesus Christ, the living out of his love, his compassion, his truth. And Peter stood up, and you need to stand up. You are the church of today, and you win the youth, you win the world, and that is all that Jesus is interested in. How dare you diminish the role of the young people? I'm going somewhere else because there are too many college students. We have upwards of 100 college students some weeks here when, the, when school is in. Praise God! And they're going out to lead ministries and they are evangelizing and they're bringing their friends who are far from Christ here. And you know what's happening? Most weeks, somebody is saved here. Not because of our doing, but because of the work of God. The older we get, the least likely we are to have friends who are far from God. The less likely we are to bring friends who are far from God. The least likely we are to evangelize. What is that about? Young people, go, go, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, My your young, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. It's on you. It's on you. Get with it. Old people. You're really not old. You're not old. Satchel Page. He was a baseball pitcher. He pitched his last game in the major leagues when he was 59 years old. He said, age is just a state of mind. Age is just a state of mind. You don't know how old you are? I don't mind. That's right. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't sign out, hand out sign up sheets for the AARP. God wants to use you now. He is saying with the young, I will call and equip and fill the old. Your old men, your old men, women will dream dreams. Dream dreams. What? Of what? It's not of the church of yesterday. It is the church of today and the church of tomorrow as the kingdom advances through the Holy Spirit as the kingdom advances through the Holy Spirit. Just as old people have been marginalized by saying they're the church of tomorrow, we've done a disservice of marginalizing our older folks by saying they are the church of yesterday. With their wisdom and their knowledge and their maturity in the Holy Spirit, we need them. We need you. To raise up, to set the example, to encourage and infuse the Holy Spirit, to prophesy. We're going to talk about what that is because you're going to get it, right? It says you're going to get it. we got to know what it is. We got to build it up because the kingdom advances. As Matt preached a couple of weeks ago, we don't look toward the past for, for our glory days. There was no glory day in the past. If there were glory days in the past, we wouldn't be living in a community where 90% of our community is unchurched and 95% of our college was unchurched. But there is a glory day in the future when Christ returns. And we need to be equipped and encouraged by those who are mature in the faith. We need to be discipled by them, not separated from them. We don't yearn for the past, but we dream dreams of the future of this church, of his kingdom in this town, and in this college, and in this state, and in this world. I want to read a quote from John Piper. It's young and old alike, God wants to give us visions and dreams of what we can accomplish for his glory. This is the kind of church that he is looking for. And Piper writes, what I long for from myself and from all of you is the answer, who knows all that the fullness of God might mean in my life? Who knows what the fullness of God might mean in my life? But I have tasted Of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I know I want all that he has to give. I want to see more of God. To love more of God. To reflect more of Jesus Christ. I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out on my life. In ways that I have never yet known or are there any older or younger people who would say I've seen it all, I've seen it all that God of God that I want to see my love for him is as deep as I want it to be, my confidence in his grace is as full as I want it to be, my life is full enough of God for all to see as fully as they should see and he ends by writing and if there is none who can say that then this one thing should unite the old and young of this church a passionate quest for the fullness of God. Respect and celebrate each other as we unite in the passionate quest for the fullness of God to be filled with his Holy Spirit that his work that he has called us to equipped us for and sent us out to do might be done that people would be blessed by the gospel reached by the gospel saved by the gospel set free by the gospel do it together when the holy spirit falls it calls people together in ministry may this church be a celebration of that what's well, going to take a look at 17 through 21 for something else let's look again we're going to underscore some other things If you bring up that second version of that, there you go. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit. This is lavishing. This is not the trickle. This is standing under the waterfall, okay, with your mouth open. We talked about last week, you having the city market. You can't contain it. You You can't give away enough that he can't fill it, Okay? He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall what? What are they going to do? Say it with me. Prophesy. And your young men will see what? Visions. And your old men shall dream what? Dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will, again, pour out my Spirit, and they shall what? They shall prophesy. If this is happening, if this is to happen, if this is going to happen to us in the same way that it happened in the early church, it helps us to understand. What is prophecy? We've got to stop thinking of prophecy is like, like the mentalist or, you know, predicting the future. Here's what it is. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3. If you Want to turn there? 1 Corinthians 14, 1-3, Paul is teaching the early church what it is. He says, pursue love. It's right after the passage that was read at your wedding, you know, 13, <laughs> every wedding. Okay. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Take note of this. Especially that you might, what? Prophesy, right, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God for no one understands it but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay, verse verse three, here we go. On the other hand, here's the reason why. The one who prophesies speaks to people. For what? For their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. For their building up, not tearing down. For their encouragement, not discouragement. For their consolation. Josh, come here, man. This is speaking the heart of God to people. Letting God use you in the spirit to speak the... He just touched my butt. I'm sure that was love and not lust. Allowing you for God to speak his heart to people, to uplift, to encourage, and to comfort. This is what it might look like. Josh, you are my brother, and I see Christ's love all over you, and his anointing is upon you. And whether you are in this place, or in Seattle, or Portland, or wherever you go, it's Portland, right? Yeah, well, you might end up in Seattle if you're. God has his hand on you. You will be a faithful and mighty man of God a true husband to Brittany. He will use your gifts of music and art and those that you have not yet discovered to glorify his name and make him famous. Through you, he will reach people. Have great hope. There will be opposition, but Christ is walking before you and beside you and behind you and his spirit is within you and no weapon formed against you will stand. You are a mighty man of God in Christ. Go live it. You. you. <laughs> yeah. Parents, you need to be speaking God's heart over your children. Boyfriends and girlfriends, you need to be prophesying, speaking God's heart over the one that you're in relationship with. Husbands, you need to be speaking God's heart over your wife. Wives, you need to be speaking God's heart over your husbands. Workers, not in such maybe an overt and creepy way, but you need to be speaking God's heart over the people you work with. You need to be speaking God's heart over the people who live on your street. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, God will pour his views, his mind, his voice, his heart into you. You need to look into people and call out the beautiful things, the heart that God has for them to encourage, to uplift, and to comfort. You will do it. You will do it. So prophesy, and you will see visions. God will not only give you a new mouth, a new tongue, he will give you new eyes to see things in the spirit. And it will replace the visions that you're carrying around right now because so many of you, me included, have visions. We do have visions, but there are are awful things in our past. Things that have attacked us, ways that we have fallen, ways that we've blown it. And we have visions From sin, of the way we see people that cut us off from them and cut them off from God. We have visions of condemnation, and He's saying, I want to give you visions of hope and of glory and of me working through you and through others and through my church to reach this town, to reach this college. What we said together at the beginning that we desire to see Gunnison and Western know Jesus Christ that's the vision. That's the vision. And it's got to be, it's got to find its root in all of us because we've all got a part to play, young and old, rich and poor, athletic and spaz. It doesn't matter who you are, smart and not so smart. Whatever you are, whoever you are, that's the vision. We're living in a time of too few visions and too few dreams, How do I know that that every time that God is talking about this to to put visions and dreams in people's heart is for the advancement of his kingdom, for the reaching of people who are far from him? Because the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to discover that's all the vision, that's all the dream he keeps pouring out. It's his vision, it's his dream. In chapter 9, Ananias is going to commission Paul. He has a vision to commission Paul to be one of the greatest apostles that there ever was. In, in in chapter 10, we, we see Peter having a vision to, to extend the gospel not just to the Jews but to the Gentiles. In chapter 16, Paul has a vision, has a dream of somebody in Macedonia calling them. In, 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 in Ephesus, calling them. It said, We need help. And he's going there. What? To advance the kingdom. That's the vision. That's a dream. You got to catch it. And you don't seek it, you seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit takes care of itself. All right. All right. We're moving along. Moving along. We're going to get you out of here. I promise. Oh, Lord. Okay. 19. We're going back home to our home verse here. Verse 19. I want you to see. I want you to track the mercies of God through this. Okay? Um, God, this gets very dark in the prophecy. It gets very dark, but I want you to track the mercies of God in this. Verse 19, God says it kind of shifts. He's going to talk about the church and, and you prophesying and seeing visions and dreaming dreams. And then here's the dark part. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and on the signs on the earth below. It doesn't sound very dark yet. Here it comes. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. What's going on? What's going on? God is showing himself mighty. God is showing himself holy. There are changes in the earth and in the heavens and in the seas, right? There are natural disasters. There's stuff going on. Ari is in insurance. Where are you, Ari? And yeah, they call this in what? In the insurance world. Acts of Acts of God. Even those who don't believe define this in the insurance realm as acts of God. So why is God going to send this? Because look at his mercy. Look at his mercy. He would rather us be uncomfortable and come to him than leave us in our comfort and perish. So here's what he's doing. Here's what he's doing. I want you to see it. In the church, he is calling all his people, young and old, rich and poor, slave and free, all of everybody, he is equipping them with the Holy Spirit. He's filling them. He's calling them. They are prophesying. They are speaking God's heart over people. They are seeing visions. They are dreaming dreams. As the early church did in verse 11, they are telling the mighty works of God. And then what happens? Then what happens? He causes things that, that happen on the earth to cause people to become disquieted. What do we do? What happened after Katrina? What happened after 9-11? People began to think about God. People began to cry out to God. And that is merciful because he would rather not leave us in our comfort and perish but make us, make us tremble and seek him. Whatever it takes, he wants us home. So he opens up the hearts and he opens up the minds of people who are far from him and his church comes and his church comes because they're prophesying and they're seeing visions and they're dreaming dreams and how does it end? Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the heart of God. That everyone who calls on the name of the heart, uh, the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's equipping his church. He's calling his church. He's preparing the hearts of those who are far from God. And it ends beautifully that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. It is about eternal life, but it is about more than that. It is about life right now. Life rather than death. Hope rather than despair. Freedom rather than bondage. Forgiveness rather than condemnation. And he can only use a church that has not tired of crying out and calling on the name of the Lord. It takes a repentant church to be blessed. To go out and live a life and share a love that causes those far from God to repent and be blessed. Let us never tire of calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus just threw you the ball and said, put it up. What are you going to do?